This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy your postage online at a fraction of the price without ever having to leave your home. Just visit Stamps.com and use the promo code BADCHRISTIAN. Today's show is also sponsored by Blue Apron. Get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash badchristian. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Joey, I just want to thank you for coughing during the pre-roll for Blue Apron. It was unbelievable. You could have looked anywhere instead of the mic, but you chose the mic to cough right into this episode's for you, Joyce Fenton. Kick it, Big Christian cough. Big Christian cough. You should have that thing. You should have that thing checked out, man. I, I have never known anyone to cough as much into a microphone as Pastor Joey Fenton. I mean, he's used a mic for church. He's used a mic for podcasting. He's done it so much. But no matter what, there's no place he would rather cough into. Than a microphone, <laughs> Toby. I'm going to oppose you right right away on the top of the show, and I love taking a chance to make fun of Joey. But oh God. Joey has greatly improved his coughing and making clearing his throat in the mic over the past twelve months. Joey, thank you. Oh, over I don't the last know year, I've made some incremental change. I appreciate it. Is that is that a volitional choice? I mean, you did that on purpose. Have you noticed that, or you just you just had a clearer throat for the last year? Yeah, the Holy just, Spirit just his is actively been down. He hasn't working made any work. He hasn't made any constantly. effort. No. There should be no surprise when we get better at things. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That is true. No surprise. Let me tell you guys about a major realization life lesson I had last night to start here. I think this is a, is a really good metaphor for decision making. And uh, I just want to give the lesson to, that I realized last night to to everyone. Okay. So yesterday... I was working. It started off. It started off boring. Okay, so yesterday I was building in. Uh, Joey, you've been having car- a good week. <laughs> <laughs> the, the football games for yeah, sure. Football's been really cool. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, go ahead. Life lesson. It sounds really interesting. I was building on my front porch a countertop cabinet bar thing yesterday. And I'm trying to get it done before the rain happens, and because uh, it's about to be the rainy season, so I had I was spending all uh, the whole day trying to get it done, and it got dark and it was getting late, and I had all my tools all over the yard, everything out. Oh no! And it's like 9:30 at night. It's dark. I'm trying to budget and get all the paint cleaned up and everything, and I had a bunch. Wait, wait, wait hold do. on. You were working on a budget also. What are we? What are you talking about? You said, said you were trying to budget, budget your well, you money. Budget my time. Th- it's time. Uh, it's, it's late at night, and I'm trying to clean up all my tools and finish the project that I'm working on. So it's, it's just a weird choice of words. Yeah. Okay. So I had I was getting the. Uh, the you know, are you happy? Are you guys happy what? now? Let's move on. <laughs> no, the story is riveting. No, You're standing in your on. yard working on something, <laughs> yeah. and your but now you have to budget your time on top of that. Right. It's riveting podcasting stuff. Keep anyway, going, please. Let's go back. Please. I like where you're at with football. Let's go back to no, taking no. The keep news. going. No, <laughs> come like on. That. Don't no. You don't have feelings. Don't don't pretend you do. Just go ahead with I'm the just story. Asking, are you? Ha- it's not going to work now. No matter. what I'm it super is. excited about the life lesson <laughs> we can still learn together. Just bring it. I, just bring it. I back. love to budget. I love to budget time, money, resources. I don't understand why budgeting was weird about saying you're budgeting your time when it's getting dark and late and you're trying to get to. Budget. I knew right. what no, you meant. That. But it's just you, you, all you had to do is just say, and I realized I had to hurry. 
He loves showing off in them highfalutin big words. Like he lo- he yeah. always does that. None ever since I met him. Mm-hmm. He's always like, oh, supposedly. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Well, we're literally not going to have time because you're right. If I, yeah. We're literally not going to have time. So in, to budget more time, I'm 100% saying let's move on. I'll catch it another time. But uh, You can't leave us like that. Just do it. It's it doesn't okay. matter. It will be, I, it was, I can't gonna, leave this episode now. now. I shouldn't have said the word life lesson because it sounded like I was starting off on some grandiose statement or or thing i was it was going to be just a silly little nothing and it doesn't matter so it matt carter matter. world cl- world-class talker yeah. and performer can't bring it back and there's no there's no uh, it's a sad day back, is what i'm saying it doesn't matter it wasn't important it was just a little show starter but now we're over budget on time so let's move into all right well we'll move on topics. okay so joey i was in yes. my backyard yesterday and i was working on this little <laughs> thing i was building <laughs> so crazy <laughs> <laughs> Life lesson for sure coming. So let me tell you, you if you use power tools, <laughs> it's unreal. It is unreal. That's all I have to say. I would use that instead of the non-electric tools. Uh, yesterday I sat down next to Rosa and I had some dialogue with her and I realized just how meaningful conversations can be with your child. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's just, uh, it was awesome. It's an awesome realization. I, it's weird that she has the exact opposite reaction. She's like, you can't have any conversation with my dad. <laughs> this is awful. Oh, God. Eric, oh, no. He's on that meaningful dialogue. Shit. <laughs> so what Waylon did guys- actually say something pretty funny to me. I told him, I, I was like, Waylon, you know I love you no matter what. And I said, no matter what you do, I love you. And he said, I know. He said, even if you tried to kill, even if I tried to kill you on purpose, you would love me. And I was like, oh, okay, yes, I would. Your son might have a problem. Judd. <laughs> That's very dangerous. I mean, he's he's alluding to what's going to happen in the future. Hey, would you? Uh, speaking of having sons, and uh, would would you guys be uneasy about them playing football, especially like in the last couple of years? That is with all such this stuff? a good question. I've I mean, really been thinking about that. And like, imagine, imagine yeah. being Deshaun Watson's mom. Like Deshaun Watson. For those of you that don't know, he won the college national championship last for year for the Clemson University. That's right. So now he's in the pros, and it's like at at the peak of his career was also the peak of research and. Uh, you know, data that shows just how harmful football is. And my brother and I were talking, we're just like, if you're Deshaun Watson, no way you let that deter you. Now, maybe think to yourself, man, this kind of sucks. Like my career is very dangerous. I knew that, but I didn't know to this degree, but you can't stop now. I mean, there's just no way. It's a risk reward thing though. He has a lot to gain. Like to be a mid-level college player, you have a lot to lose, but and not much upside, but he has the upside of, I mean, you, you couldn't pass that up. Like, imagine if you had the opportunity to work on an Alaskan crab fishing boat and it was going to pay you $400,000 a summer and you knew it was somewhat risky, you would t- you would do it. But if it was for 40000 you wouldn't do it. Yeah. I, I am really torn with all of this because the same thing, like uh, we had Ike play flag football and I was like, are we going to do this in the future? Like if he wants to play sports or anything like that, I wonder, w- would we try to move him towards – other sports, but you know they say CTAE is rampant in soccer as well. I don't. Yeah, I I'm not it. sure about basketball or 
uh, baseball, just because baseball, I'm assuming it's not basketball. You are doing a lot of jumping up and down, and you know I, they don't really get that many concussions and stuff. And I don't know if it's just concussion only. One of the big questions I have is. I would love to see a study, too, on other people that have it outside of the NFL. All the studies are on the NFL, and it's basically concussion-related, mm-hmm. which I, I do believe is true and real. And if, The more concussions you get, the, the worse it is for your life, for sure. Devin Shelton in Emory was told if he got another concussion, he could die because he had, he had like three of them when he was little. So Devin hey. could have CTE. I mean, it could, but I'm just wondering. What do you like, think even, about a guitarist that headbangs every night for 16 years? I know. Years? That's you what I'm saying. Like, I feel nothing? like. I mean, come on. I feel like, and what's really crazy is you cannot test that until after they are deceased. Mm-hmm. Like, there, you do not know. Like, the, Aaron Hernandez, y'all know he, he just mm-hmm. hung himself, but uh, he's in. he was the Patriots uh, receiver that killed somebody, and, uh, and then he committed suicide, and they said they did a test on him, and he had the highest CTE of anybody his age. He was only 28, I think, and he had the CTE of like a 65-year-old. They don't know as much about it as you would probably think. Like, it's still relatively early on in there, as with a lot of brain stuff, but... You know, I would say that's a, a something bad about the NFL, and and of course all the stuff now is even worse. But I, you know, I, before anybody even talks about it any further, I would have to say for sure, probably two years ago must be the peak of NFL and its dominance. And I think it will. I mean, it just it's got to be on the down from now on, right? I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I just think it is. I'm it not makes saying so it's going money. away, it's the, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's peak no, yeah. will historically have been 2015. That's when very you look back on 40 years, you go, oh, 2017, it was like, yeah. boom. And now it's, I don't know what the future right. is, but it won't be that. Well, I don't know. Yeah, but. well, you're, you're definitely, I mean, no doubt it's got to be effectual. Maybe we won't see it right away, but parents are not just going to be like, oh, football, you're interested in that? Cool. They're going to at least think twice and a percentage of them that would have said yeah let's do this let's get you to football practice they're going to say no nah, oh we for just sure this. but i mean that just, and i'm talking about the political part of it so i'd like to get y'all's thoughts on that but before i do that i'm going to give everybody some good news and that is stamps.com i know you've heard about it but stamps.com is here to save you time and money which you can use any way you want i would suggest to grow your business so if you have any kind of business or do anything and you're sending stuff. We're in a time where shipping is huge and not having to drive across town for things is a big deal. So not only in getting your stuff sent to you, but sending your stuff out, you can save a ton of time and money. I can mail any letter package using just my computer and printer and the mailman picks it up. So I can do it right now and send Toby a microphone or some piece of document, anything I want right here from the office because of stamps.com. You can avoid the hassle of the post office and mail everything from postcards, envelopes, packages, domestic or international. You can create your account in minutes online. You do not have to lease any equipment and there's no long-term commitments. You click, click, print, and mail, and you're done. And unlike the post office, stamps.com never closes. So it doesn't matter what time of day or what day of the week it is. It's con- it's convenient. It's easy, flexible, reliable, all that good stuff. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Stamps.com makes it easy. They'll send you a digital scale that will automatically calculate the exact postage you need and help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. I use stamps.com 
for all the reasons I'm saying, because it saves me time and money. Been using it a long time. And right now, you too can enjoy Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's Stamps.com, enter Bad Christian. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. All right, did you guys take a knee in your living room when you watch football on Sunday, or... Did you stand and salute the flag and sing the national anthem, or did you keep your damn TV off because you're boycotting the NFL? <laughs> I kept my damn TV off because I had house church and I put the Lord Jesus uh, first. Wow, Joey. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yes, praise him and lift his name up on high. Uh, but I did watch the Green Bay Packer game later because I have direct TV because for one and time you're in my life, I mean, you're rich. I'm just rich. I can, I, I, I mean, I, my I decided last minute that I wasn't going to take my personal jet to the Green Bay game yeah. and just watch a few minutes of it and come on back uh, for house church. But no, I, I really, I, all of this rigmarole, uh, I really do feel like everybody just needs to respect how everyone is processing this. Like, I have no problem with what Colin Kaepernick is doing. I have no problem with the Steelers not even coming out. I have no problem with people that want to put their hands on their chest with uh, tears coming out of their eyes. I think that we can only know whether or not we have a problem with someone's actions after talking to them for an extended period of time. So, for example, like if, if you talk to Colin Kaepernick and also what comes out of him is a disrespect for World War II vets who didn't agree or disagree with the war, but they were fighting because they wanted to protect people, I'd be like, yeah, I disagree with you. You're pretty despicable if if you you know, can't respect people of that sort of honor. <clears throat> but I would imagine if you talked to him, you, would, you wouldn't get that. You know, you would get a pretty balanced perspective of here's why I'm doing it. I don't expect everybody to agree, but for me, it's the right thing to do. And I think that's what everybody's trying to figure out right now is what is the right thing to do. And you also think what Trump is doing, tweeting about it. And I mean, I don't know if you're aware of the wedge he's what he's saying and doing about it, but you respect that also. Uh, I don't respect it because it's it's there's so much more there with Trump. Like Trump gets so fixated on the critics and likes to tweet war with people. I mean, imagine Obama in a Twitter war. (laughs) (laughs) with someone you'd be like this is so uncharacteristic of our president where for trump it's just like oh yeah he's just up to that so i I, you know a part of me you want to say good lord how cool is it that trump just doesn't care about anything and he will do whatever he wants if he's you know and he's president of the united states but i think by and large my main framework is just like Trump is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, why can't he just stay out of this and leave well enough alone and stop making enemies? Like, yeah. that's one thing that I don't. Uh, uh, one thing that I don't respect out of Trump is, if you're a leader and you really care for your country, you have to make it one of your goals to try to get along with people. And I think you can walk the fine line of being less politically correct and still maintain a. I care about people and I want us to try to be unified. Like Obama yeah. did not unify this country, neither did George Bush, neither did Clinton, but they all at least voiced their desire to see it mm-hmm. unified. Sure. And Trump just doesn't care. Yeah. I, hey, Joey, I, I promise you, I've been listening 
but I just couldn't. I was thinking like rigmarole. <laughs> it's just sticking in my head. I was like, I think it's rigmarole. Like rigmarole. Not, I don't know the phrase, but exactly. Rigmarole. Now, so I looked it up, and I was like, man, I think Joey's wrong. Because you know how you always get sayings wrong. Like, you, like all I, the time. I'm really surprised you didn't say rigamortis. I thought that's what you, all the rigamortis. <laughs> but I looked up rigmarole is right. It's uh, confused or meaningless talk. But I stand corrected. In the Urban Dictionary, rigmarole is a word, and it's the process of putting someone through a bunch of bullshit to get from point A to point B. So it worked. You are right. Rigamaro. So that's, that's like an urban. Yeah, it's even more appropriate. I don't know. Maybe that's basically what that is. It doesn't say that though. It just say, it says rigamaro in the Urban Dictionary is the real word, but I don't see rigamaro in like Webster's dictionary. But it worked. It is is not, and that's I'm very proud of you. Okay, so here's what I'll say. I still think that all of this is just to make you hate the they. That's exactly there's a right. there's an enemy they that. that that is and it's just politicizing all this stuff. The football players are just trying to take a stand about what they perceive and feel as injustice in America, right? Okay, so I don't think that they're being uh, disingenuous. I don't think they're doing this uh, to the benefit of themselves. I would say a lot of their fan base. Like especially like the Pittsburgh Steelers and stuff like that. Do you know that the Pittsburgh Steelers guy? There's one guy that came out. He served three uh, tours of duty in Afghanistan. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm for, forgetting his name. One Steeler came out and uh, for the pledge uh, for the, uh, the for the national anthem. I'm sorry. And overnight, his jersey went to number six top selling jerseys. Just like a lineman or somebody you would not know at all. Went, that, that just shows you people put their money mm-hmm. where you know when they perceive wow, something uh, they're wrong. We'll support this guy. So, but wow. I'm telling you, I really do believe that this isn't anything super negative. I think it's one of the most American things you can do. I do believe that I would always stand for it. I believe that that is me standing, holding, you know, taking my hat off. Now, at the same time, I'm a hypocrite because you're right, man. I did not, I'd never stand when I'm sitting on my couch eating my nachos and see the national anthem. I do not do that. So, is, am I just doing it in front of, to, just to do it in front of people as a show? Maybe. I'm a hypocrite even in saying that. I don't know how many people in their living room stand, take their hat off. I did it one time because I felt really guilty. <laughs> You really did that? Yeah. Last season, last season, I was by myself watching the game. Jess took the kids somewhere, and I just, I stood up in my living room, took my hat off, put it over my heart, and, and, and <laughs> because I just felt, I was like, I need, what am I, who am I, what am I doing? Am I just, but I, that was the only time, and I had, I did not yeah, do it yesterday watching football. Right here. I know, real loser here. But I also, and, and I don't think the people. The flag more than Toby yeah. Dan Morrell. That's right. I, I, I don't think the people are really that outraged. I don't think anybody's that outraged. And if so, I cannot believe you would pull your money away from the, those men that are trying to stand up for what they believe in and, and uh, peacefully, peaceably uh, protesting when you know that there are a lot of football players that have done some really bad stuff. A lot of, you know, like a lot of domestic violence is going on. A lot of like brain injury stuff, all all kinds of stuff's going on. And you would support uh, the football player. But this is the thing that would make you say no or something like that. It is a bit of fake outrage on both sides. I understand Mm -hmm. both sides. One side says, hey, respect the flag. The only reason you're getting to do this is because we're in America. And that's true. That is 100% true. The only reason you can take a knee is because people died for you that, to make America all the way from the beginning what it is today. And I, But I don't think those football players are disrespecting that. I think they think that, and they're of taking course, advantage of yeah. it, and they're trying to say, hey, we would like 
like a better America, which I think is good. So I, yeah. I support them 100%. And also, I think I see the other side. And what I really hate is, once again, I feel like this is all a bit of just politics. And, and Trump makes it way worse trying to be this this uh, whatever, mean, tough guy that he thinks he is. And it's just crazy. And I, and I just don't think it... it it's not good. All it is is becoming more divisive. Joe, I think you said it. It's true. Like at yeah. least the other presidents were like, "Hey, we're we at least like America to be more unified." Yes. Like Trump's like, "Screw everybody that disagrees," and it's like a tyrant. And he's he's done. I think he does all this because he knows he's only going to be in there four years. He, he <laughs> ain't no chance. He I, he might not even run again. Like it really isn't. Like I, I I don't I don't even know if he cares. He's like, I'll just be the craziest person I can be. Say whatever, and if I win, hell, that's pretty amazing. And if I don't, I don't care. Well, yeah, I think that uh, y'all are both v- right about that. Exactly. I'm glad you both have the thing where you didn't just take the bait of st- having a position on this, because this is nonsense. I mean, it really is nonsense. And I think this is one of the first times where I felt like, golly, Trump, I mean, this is, I mean, I know people say he's done all this bad stuff, but this one is like driving me crazy, because it's literally, I don't think it's him just saying whatever he wants and not caring. He is intentionally causing division. He Pick the issue that will be polarizing yep. is trying to drive That's people right. against each other. And it makes yes. me furious. And every freaking person, smart people, intelligent people, writers, journalists, and then every person in your Facebook group and the BC Club and everywhere else, they're just take the bait on this stuff. It, I'm telling you, this doesn't matter. It's not important. I know somebody's going to say, oh, it's easy for you to say privilege, blah, blah, blah. Fuck off with that. That's nonsense, and you know it. <laughs> it's nonsense, and you know it. I'm telling you, this stuff doesn't matter. Stop paying attention to bullshit like this. This is made up, and now everybody feels like, uh-oh, now I better decide. And as soon as you decide, now you feel like you have to demonstrate. And it's changed. Every- I mean, we're in this very bad zone right now. It's driving me crazy. Matt, when I- you say this stuff, what exactly do you mean? I, I know that sounds weird, but are, are you saying don't even give what Kaepernick is doing a second thought uh, for for good or for bad? Like, right, let me you're try saying- and say it without sounding like I'm being obnoxious here. I'm, okay. Here's what I'm saying. There's a huge difference in an opponent and an enemy. Okay? Like, you can have an opponent in a debate. You can have an opponent right. in politics. You can have an opponent in a... a, pon- a opponent in a boxing match. You can have a boner. (laughs) You can have a boner anytime you want to. You can... Those are not your enemies. That is not what that is. It's insane. I mean, it's it's off the charts and off the deep end that we literally think that everywhere around us, online and in our city and in our town, is our our enemies. That is not true. It is not true. These are not your your fellow Americans, the people that stand or kneel. Who cares? Okay? Who cares? And now everybody feels like they have to care, and then they have to voice it, and they're just taking their cues from the top down. This is why we say the president doesn't matter. Well, it kind of matters, but it matters about stuff like this. If you just didn't pay attention and weren't so affected by the animalistic tendencies of your neighbors and your everybody else acting out there, you wouldn't be so hyped up and amped up about everything. You just, it's, it's a disaster. This is a disaster that everybody, and Trump is literally calculating and seeking division that is going to benefit him in his calculation. I don't know if it is or not, if he's right or wrong. 
And then everybody else that's trying to make it a big deal that makes anything a big deal where you're talking to other people in your bubble, demonizing your opponents, you're messing it up. Everybody that's doing that is a bad person on my list. That is who's bad are the people that are trying to increase division. I don't care about the issues. Who cares? Stand up for the flag. Make a protest. Now, here's what's crazy on this particular issue. Obviously, any sensible, logical, reasonable person can understand that both points of view are good points of view because they both have a value of something they care about. There's not a point of view that is the evil one and the good one. There's not a point of view where the people go, I'm here to disrespect troops. That's nobody's point of view. You know who that belongs to? Nobody. Nobody is intent is to disrespect the troops. That's not what's going on. And the people that get mad that people do take a knee are not trying to suppress free speech either they're not saying i don't believe in free speech i think you sh- i mean it's not that either they're just right they have a they feel strongly that troops matter and this this symbolism of the flag is important and that you know that's an okay point of view i understand yeah. that they, they both well, I mean a perfect example of view that are po- positive things that they feel and think both everybody does and they're not your uh, yeah. they're not your enemies they're just people that have a some different set of priorities than you do fundamentally in the way that they view things. It's not that big of a deal. You can have Thanksgiving dinner with people that sit or stand, and now everybody else out there is being forced into this position where they're thinking, I better choose a team, and I better have a strong opinion about it, and that's nonsense. You don't have to have a strong opinion about this. If you just stop paying attention to politics and politicians and the stupid news, it wouldn't matter. It's not helping anybody to talk more about these issues and be more getting it right and proving who's getting it wrong and antagonizing your opponents and then thinking of them as your actual enemies. It's crazy. It's well, a disaster. Matt, that's what, easy for you to say. You're not a football player. It's a disaster. <laughs> what, what, Every, you know. Well, one of the things I was thinking this week is, and, and I, once again, I'm a hypocrite and have done this, but I'm really going to try. I was I was flipping through Facebook or whatever, and I realized there was like 10 or 15 posts where the only thing I could think is, this is posted to make you hate somebody right. or some group, right? Yes. And so I'm, I'm really do, and I would encourage anybody listening or whatever to really try and think, when I'm posting something, Am I just is this post just to make you hate this they yes. or this this perceived enemy that's out there or whoever it is like I mean I saw a ton of posts about just people talking about the flag and disrespect and what is what is disrespect and all the stuff and I was like you don't even know who these people are it's just like some some Republican guy in Minnesota or something you're never going to run across them. it's just somebody that did something and you're just posting it to make you hate somebody or I saw you know people posting about the football players and, oh well they're doing this and it's disrespectful because no. No, I mean, like, it, it would be crazy. Like, it, I cannot believe how you could peaceably protest and people would be then still find issue with it. Like, it's just so crazy. It's but exhausting. even outside of that realm, just pay attention when you see somebody post or say something that their goal is to make you feel more pure animosity towards some other right. group that you don't identify with. That's the it, toxic yep. thing that's going on here. Where do you think 100%. it fucking leads? Where does that I go? I mean, if, if, you, if you have an enemy, what does that, what make, what do you do? Right. Identify an enemy and uh, then prove to them they're wrong until they eventually say, you know what? I was wrong. Is that how it goes once you have draw those lines? Is that what, how yeah. that ever has ever ended? You, you oh, name the enemy right. and then you pound them until they go, you know what? 
You're stronger than us. You're smarter than us. You're more right on all the issues than us. You win. No. Nope. That doesn't happen. Nope. The other side is strong too, whichever side you're on, if you feel like you need to have sides. The other side is strong. The other side is smart. The other side will not give up. The other yeah, side will do damage to you. Knock 100%. it off. 100%. And because of this, what you are literally doing is weaponizing the other side. That's right. Demonizing. I mean, you are totally yeah. you are totally doing that to the point of it will cause real bad stuff to happen. It yeah. will cause people That's how that, it goes because because there's percentage of people that uh, whether they they have uh, mental issues or anger issues or whatever, you're going to get a crazy person that will do something horrific and hurt people when in no way did anything actually benefit. If people are dying, just, I mean, just uh, th- just in yesterday, a church was shot up here in Tennessee. A, a lady, a 39-year-old mom of two, died immediately. Six are in the hospital. One, I think the pastor's in critical condition. I think he's going to live, hopefully. But the, my immediate thought was, man, I was in Charleston and saw Emmanuel. I, I mean, it was just crazy. And now here, I mean, I mean, it's like all these things are just pushing people to like this boiling right. point where, it's, where yep. it's exploding over. And the the problem I have with it the most is it does feel just hypocritical. I don't know if you totally care. Some Facebook thing where you get real mad and you get to be mean and have mean words. Yeah. It's just a, a, a but it weaponizes other people yep. that are dangerous and are going to do stuff. And there is you're right, Matt. There is no real ground gained. Yeah. No, nobody. Nobody. All of a sudden, went, you know what? Donald Trump actually is pretty cool. I'm glad he said no. And if nobody's going. Oh man, had some strong opinion. I could tolerate that. But th- the fact that what he's done here is literally, right. obviously calculated to cause a big rift and make shit worse. And everybody's falling for it. it makes me so angry that people don't see that they're baited right. into all this bullshit by the left journalist and the president and the Republicans. They're baiting you. And you're playing into all whoever's the most uh, antagonistic people out there. You're all falling for it. Stop it. Right. If you get in a room with somebody, I promise you, you're way more like yes. them than you're different. And so we have to see people as not issues or theys, but we have to see them as people. And that's why, I, I, honestly, man, uh, when I found out about the shooting here yesterday, I really, for the first time, I'm usually pretty, uh, it doesn't matter, everything will be okay. I know this is really bad, but it's a one-time thing. For the first time in my life, I really am like, wait a minute, things are getting very dangerous. Yes, they we are. we are really we are in a time where it feels like really uneasy. It mm-hmm. feels a little scarier than I've ever really known, and 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 maybe that's even for the good. And I'm glad that I'm waking up Not a little likely. bit and seeing things more seriously. But I, I really, yesterday, I there, I really was thinking through, what does this mean? What does this mean for our country? What are we saying about each other? What are we claiming about this they or who the enemy is or all this stuff? Like, it's a big thing. It really is. And we are giving people identities and putting it on them. Like, this guy is a terrible person. This guy's a thug. This guy's uh, white privilege. This guy's awful. This guy's poor. This guy's rich. All these things that you're just saying about people. And it's it, it's it's really a it's a bizarre time yeah. we're living in. You're I making it worse. For the good. Everybody. I hope for the good. But all right, let's bring on our guest, if y'all don't mind. And uh, while we do that, this, this old Chris Day is going to be a good one, I think. He, he is the leading. Joey, is he the leading force in making you give up all that you've held in Christianity? Yeah, for sure. At least in my life. <laughs> even, even though he's a billion times more conservative than you. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Dangerous. We have a dangerous person coming on the podcast. But first, I'll tell you what's not dangerous. What is wonderful and has really improved my life and my family's life is Blue Apron. And I, I just want to tell you, 
I love when I get home, I see Blue Apron Box sitting there. As I've always said, it's so cool how they package everything, how everything has just come so perfect. The vegetables are my favorite vegetables in the world. I don't know how they do it. I mean, I do because they, they do sustainable stuff, which is pretty amazing. Produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. And because Blue Apron ships to the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they are reducing food waste. That's just a couple of things there. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And that's true. Like, if anybody knows me, I am not a cook. I'm not a chef. Nobody ever has mistaken me for that. And with Blue Apron, I get to be in the kitchen, and I still have Jess help me, I'll be honest. But it's fun. I get to understand cooking. I get to realize because they send you these awesome cards with all the details, all the recipes, everything, pictures, all this cool stuff right there with it. And it's really Really cool and fun. Cooking together also builds strong family bonds, and research shows that Blue Apron families uh, cook nearly three times more. So uh, try this coming up. Summer vegetable and egg paninis with Calabrian chili mayonnaise and caprese salad. Or try the soy-glazed pork and rice cakes with bok choy and marinated green beans. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash badchristian. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash badchristian. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Yep. Chris, date, thank you for joining the show. Can you hear us and everything okay? I can, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Great, great. So, um, Chris, I got to tell Chris, you have the Rethinking Hell podcast. That's your your show, right? Well, I'm, it's not my show, but yeah, it's it's the ministry that I'm a part of. Sure. Okay, so I want, and it's to, more than just a podcast. These it's a whole ministry. Are cranking out conferences mm-hmm. and stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Well, I've listened That's to true. I've listened to it and you and you on Joey's show uh, on Pastor with No Answers several times. So I feel f- more familiar with you than you will feel with me. I imagine, unless you're regular in the BC Pod, then maybe you f- feel familiar. Uh, with me, I but I want fifth. okay. So I think uh, of you. I'm going to call you a gateway drug for Joey. <laughs> yeah, you are Joey. the theological marijuana for Joey's spiritual life because that's right. I'm crediting you with kicking off being the entire catalyst for Joey's uh, complete deconstruction of Christianity that will inevitably <laughs> leave him an agnostic. So thank so you. So your Chris theory Day of annihilationism that. just got me annihilated, Chris. <laughs> Well, let's hope that that doesn't turn out to be the case. <laughs> and so, no, what here's what's interesting here is, is I was, the, uh, I was, go ahead, Joey. I was telling these guys how ironic it is because most people, and and I'm okay with this. I'm getting used to it, but most people, when they hear me talk enough about God and everything, they'd be like, wow, you really are pretty progressive in your views. And I think Matt is definitely onto something that. A lot of this had been churning, but then when I stumbled uh, on Rethinking Hell podcast and I heard a guy like you who is a Christian that doesn't believe in eternal conscious torment, which was what I thought anything else was heresy, I was like, oh my gosh, what else could I have wrong sort of thing? But the irony is that you are very conservative in your (laughs) beliefs. You believe in inerrancy of Scripture. I mean, you... It's funny because if, if someone just heard, oh, yeah, there's this guy that believes that God destroys people once and for all, they'd be like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That dude must believe in all sorts of 
weird stuff. But when people listen to you, it's like, wow, it actually seems a little more true to Scripture. So it's it's a it's a unique deal there. But Matt and Toby have heckled me a lot now about <laughs> using Rethinking Hell podcast to uh, eliminate my guilt and anguish about eternal conscious torment. So, well, as you know from having listened to the show, and, and possibly you as well, Matt, uh, I don't encourage people to base their ideas about hell on how they feel about one view or another. Uh, and mm-hmm. so hopefully that at least comes through, that I'm I'm really committed to where Scripture leads, regardless of whether it leads in the direction that I now lean or, or whether it leads back to the traditional view. So do you change yeah Do you have a lot of people like just pushing back emotionally back to you? Like their, their responses are just like, no, you're wrong because, you know, you're wrong. The Bible. Well, yeah, it's it's a it's a very contentious topic, and <laughs> the <Bible>. um, <laughs> yeah, that's typically the response. Haven't you read, you know, Revelation fourteen ninety one right. or whatever? As if as if as part of this ministry, I haven't interacted with those texts. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you like you? You just mentioned that you you want to go wherever the Bible leads, and and Joey mentioned you being as an inerrantist, if that's the right term for that. But how did you reason, like, uh, have you gone back and forth on this? And when did you come to believe that hell was not the way that we all think it typically is? or Yeah, so several years ago, something like, I don't know, six years ago or so, I interviewed a man named Edward Fudge, who's the author of the book, The Fire That Consumes. Uh, and at the time, I believed in the traditional doctrine of hell as eternal torment. Um, and I asked Edward to come on the show and prevent, present a sort of positive case for the view that he teaches and that I now teach. And I found that pretty compelling. And then I spent uh, another hour of the show sort of leveling every challenge at him that I could think of or that I had seen other people level. And his answers to them were pretty persuasive. And so I found myself on the fence. Mm-hmm. And over the, course of, over the course of the months that followed, as I continued to research the topic and try to find every good defense of the traditional view that I could find, uh, I found that view increasingly lacking. And eventually I... Um, uh, you know, found myself fully convinced of this view. And I haven't gone back since. Quite the contrary, ever since then, uh, the more and more research I do, uh, the more convincing I find mm-hmm. the view that I now hold. But um, you did and, change and less- your view on this, you know, I don't know if you, people would call it a primary, but substantial doctrine. You did change this view. Like, you, you, you strongly held the other view first and were logically convinced into this one? Yeah, that's right. In fact, uh, as I've often said in, you know, various forums, I was never emotionally... Um, you know, I, I was never emotionally troubled by the traditional view, and you know, maybe that's because I'm sort of cold or uh, you know hard-hearted or something like that. But I was never emotionally mm-hmm. pulled in away from the tradition. Uh, but I am very committed to the authority. I mean, people sure. burn forever; they burn forever. I mean, shit. What, what am I supposed well, to do? They burn. I, they burn. Well, the way the way I look at it is is that God uh, <laughs> is just, and I can trust what He deems to totally. be the punishment people deserve, regardless of whether I like it or totally. not. Totally. And I, mm-hmm. and I can relate to that because I, I never did get to a point where I was just like, any God that would do that is just not worth serving. I was just like, I believe in this God, and if this is true, then it's true. But it just, man, But you, But you, sense. Joey, say that it emotionally always has bothered you differently oh, than Chris sure. is saying. No, absolutely. You know? I mean, absolutely. It, it, you know, that's, you definitely come from a place of, you've been disturbed, almost neurotic about the idea that yep. people you know and have died. That is not an overstatement okay. at all. Um <laughs> Chris, Chris, what I would like to do instead of like divulging into like this huge uh, theological discussion, let me throw four low hanging fruit scriptures at you and 
and challenge you roughly 30 seconds, shoot it down as proof for eternal Joey, conscious Joey, you know that I can't do anything in 30 seconds. Yeah, uh, you so, can. But, yeah, you but can. I'll try my best. All right, so Revelation 21.8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Why is that not eternal conscious torment? Seems to be an easy one. Well, actually, I would say that the previous chapter, Revelation twenty ten, is the one that's more challenging than twenty one okay. eight. There tell, tell us the that. Devil, well, there it says the devil, the beast, and the false prophet will be tormented forever and ever in the lake of fire. Whereas the verse that you just mentioned doesn't specify the duration, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I fully grant that in this vision that John received while he was in on exile uh, on the island of Patmos, he saw a vision in which the this seven headed, ten horned beast and this two horned pro, uh, false prophet. Uh, and, and the devil depicted as a dragon, um, these creatures in John's vision suffer torment uh, indefinitely in the lake of fire. Um, the question is, what does this imagery mean? Because this this genre of biblical literature, apocalypse, is extremely symbolic. And that doesn't mean that we can just sort of dismiss it and, and be careless about how we treat the text. Uh, quite the opposite. It means that we have to take extreme care in how we interpret this text. And when we look at how the various symbols are used in this passage, uh, where where they're used in the Old Testament, all the symbols, the, the, the uh, fire and sulfur, um, beasts being thrown into fire, this is all symbolism communicating final destruction and death. And that's why when John in 2014 and God in 21.8, when they interpret this symbolism of the lake of fire, they tell us that it represents the second death, that is, the second time that human beings will die. And in contrast to that, the traditional view says that when the lost are raised, resurrected from the dead, they will be made immortal and live forever. Uh, I think we're taking these passages about the second death much more seriously. So the fact that there is a second death, I mean, there's a finality to the word death. So you die, and then something happens, and then the second death is a, a, a termination of something, not an eternality, if you will. Well— I would say it's it's the cessation and ongoing privation of life. You know, when Jesus when when we say that Jesus died for our sins, we're not using the word died in any sort of code language, you know, any kind of as any kind of metaphor. We're saying he actually died. And in the same way, my view, the view that we present at Rethinking Hell and what we think is the biblical view is that the resurrected lost will bodily die a second time. So without so I, going through the whole all of the proof texting and stuff like that, if you're new, if you've never heard of of this before, uh, it's it's called is annihilationism is the term for it right? Well, that's one term for it. It's not mm-hmm. my preferred one, but I'm I'm fine with it. Well, the, the conditional is, conditional look, mortality. Yeah. So the general idea of those, if you look to, at the text and come to it uh, purely, or look at everything that's really there, we can re-question the idea of eternal conscious torment. And it's possible that there are people who die who are not saved, and they are terminated, maybe even through fire or something like that, but it's simply not eternal. It's still death. It's still ending. Those people are annihilated. Those souls go away, but they're not. The only, the real nuance to it is not anything else scripturally other than people who are not saved do not spend eternity in conscious torment. They simply are terminated. Well, I think the critical distinction isn't so much duration, because we believe the punishment of death will, in fact, be eternal. Uh, the lost will die, and, and their being dead will last forever. They will never be raised again after that point. So the issue, if my, at least in my view, the critical distinction is not duration. The critical distinction is life. 
the traditional view, although some people don't want to admit that it entails this, think uh, the, the traditional view entails that the resurrected lost, when they're brought physically back to life, they will be made immortal and live forever. Mm-hmm. Whereas we conditionalists, and by the way, universalists say the same thing as well, which makes these two groups kind of interesting bedfellows. Whereas the conditional immortality view says that immortality is a gift that is only given on the condition of exercising saving faith in Christ. And so our view is about who will and won't receive immortality and live forever. That's the critical distinction. So the con- it, so you are dead, but you don't have consciousness as a, you know, terminated. Yeah, it's kind of like being. it's kind of like uh, John three sixteen says it all. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him will not die. So that's not figurative death. That's not I'm alive and I'm burning in hell. Death. That's death. Uh-huh. Uh, so if if you believe in Him, you won't die, but you'll have eternal life. So instead of okay, you're either going to be alive in heaven, enjoying eternal life, or alive in hell, enjoying eternal death. Chris is saying eternal death means you're dead forever. Yeah, so right. it's it's like you, and, and, when you when you read the word death, it literally means you don't exist anymore, which I do think makes way more sense to the text, which makes me wonder, Chris, and, and this is what I just can't, I, I have a hard time with, is the amount of decades and centuries we have been believing and teaching in eternal conscious torment, is there anything in Christian's history that opens the door of possibility to us almost like grasping for, for straws when it comes to eternal conscious torment? Because when I listen to you, it, it seems pretty clear, pretty simple. Were there any ulterior motives in scaring people into Christianity, do you think? I think that some critics of the tradition would say there were such ulterior motives. I don't. Uh, I'm open to that possibility. What I think happened is in the earliest centuries of the church, you have people like Ignatius of Antioch, Irenaeus of Lyon, Arnobius of Sicca, and Athanasius the Great, and others, all saying that immortality is something that is given only to the saved. Uh, and uh, they will say that the lost will not be made immortal, will not live forever, will not receive length of days forever and ever, to use Irenaeus's language. Uh, but with Augustine in particular, with how persuasive he was, with how um, influential he was, when he put his stamp of approval, as it were, on the doctrine of eternal torment, it became the dominant view. And over the course of centuries, um, you know, people have been trained and raised to, to look at these texts in a certain way. And we live in a day now where challenging the tradition comes at the risk of jobs and of you know social networks and so forth. And so there's a tremendous amount of peer pressure uh, to maintain this view as well. So why did people like Augustine and Tertullian and, and others in this critical juncture between where my view appears to have dominated and then, then the doctrine of eternal torment did? I think it has to do with uh, former Platonists, former Manichaeans like Augustine, coming into the church and shedding some of the baggage from their former worldview that was obviously inconsistent with the Christian one, but not realizing how other baggage continued to follow them into their new faith and shape the way that they read the text. When you have somebody like Augustine who had one, who had one time thought that souls are indestructible and will live forever, uh, and and somebody who didn't really understand the genre of apocalypse, for example, because mm-hmm. he came from a Greek a, a Greek worldview as opposed to a Jewish one, you can understand why when he comes to texts like Torment Forever and Ever in the Lake of Fire, he might see that through a filter, the, the, this filter of some of the baggage that he I still see. had around from he, his yeah, is Before it, being is a Christian, the, had an uh, underlying assumption that souls are forever no matter what. So it just it's just rational to him to assume it's you're one place or the other because in his view, pre even pre that was just that souls last forever. 
Yeah, and we all do this. All and that's an unbiblical presupposition, right? And that's unbiblical, or is or are there scriptures that they point to and say, "See, the soul is forever"? Because in in my uh, uh, seminary studies, I mean, we were basically taught that. God has to be true to the immortality that he breathed into people, and it's actually like a a respectful thing for his creation to allow the wicked to perish forever because destroying them would be disrespecting the immortality that he gave them that's, that's innate for humanity, and I don't see how that's biblical. Well, I don't either. It's something um, that is inferred from a certain understanding of uh, a handful of proof texts. If you're if you're uh, a traditionalist and you come to texts like the one we just looked at a moment ago, Revelation 20, with the devil, the beast, and the false prophet being tormented forever, uh, if you think that, and then a few verses later, human beings are thrown into that fire. If if you understand that in a literalistic way and take it to mean that these creatures and human beings will will be tormented forever, then you infer from that that the soul is immortal and lasts forever. Um, if, so no, there are no explicit texts that, that could be pointed to a support you know, for the doctrine of the soul's immortality, but it's something that they conclude based on the particular reading that they have of this handful of texts. But I came to believe that uh, this handful of texts actually supports my view rather than the tradition. So Chris, you believe that hell exists, but we don't burn forever? Yeah, is that, that's yeah. fair. So, so when you were talking about the first death and the second death, do you think when your first death is this earthly death here, and then if, if you're a bad guy, sinner, or whatever, you go to hell until the second death? Well, now you're using the word hell in two different ways. Um, there right. is, uh, historically, some people have used the word hell to describe the intermediate state, the, the state between death and resurrection, uh, and then they'll use some other language, or even the word hell again to describe the final state. But those are two different things. Um, whatever I think and other conditionalists think, or annihilationists, to use Matt's language, whatever we think uh, is the case between death and resurrection, we do affirm that at one point the lost will be raised physically, consciously, and they will be judged and sentenced to hell where they will be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Hell, this is confusing. <laughs> I, I, well, I got a good verse. Joey, let me do another verse. You probably have this one too, but I, this one, uh, Mark nine forty three. I bet, I oh, bet yeah. you got that. You get Mark nine forty three a lot. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Yeah, so it's interesting. You've quoted a translation that mistranslates those oh. words. It doesn't say never dies out. The word is unquenchable. It means that it cannot be extinguished. Uh, imagine, if you will, uh, a f- firefighter's trying to extinguish a fire burning down your house. And they call you and say, hey, we want you to know we're trying to put out this fire at your house. So you hang up and you rush home and you get there and your fire is burnt to the ground. You know that what happened is they failed to put it out. And that's what, that's what happens when you fail to put out a fire, is it completely burns up that which, that which is thrown into it. Uh, you could see this, for example, in Matthew 3, where John the Baptist, I think it is, says that Jesus will, uh, will burn up, katakaio is the Greek word, it means to completely burn down to ashes, burn up the chaff in unquenchable fire. You see, the fact that the fire can't be put out is why it completely burns things up, because people might try to put God's fiery wrath out, you know, with water or whatever, um, but they're going to fail to do so, and as a result, people will be burned up completely. Yeah, there's something Toby, logical about that that makes sense yeah. to me, and it's the one where people say, and I hadn't thought about this that much, but it's the one where people say, if you're talking about hell has to exist for justice, and it's the punishment for sin and stuff like that, and Jesus atoned for the sin, it doesn't make sense 
our sin is finite, so it doesn't make sense that the punishment for sin would be infinite. Because no matter how much you've sinned, eternity in torment seems like the punishment is worse than any amount of sins you could commit in 100 years. Now, you got 10 well, billion years of pure punishment for that. So it kind of stands to reason that that's not even justice in a, in a way. Well, so it makes more the, sense that, that, that your punishment is you are evaporated. Well, I mean, to play the eternal torment advocate, uh, as it were, you know, first of all, our sins are against an infinitely holy God, they will say. Uh, and mm-hmm. furthermore, in hell, people that aren't regenerate, people who haven't been transformed by the Holy Spirit, are going to continue to sin and, according to this traditional view, continue to heap upon mm. themselves penalties. I see. Um, so, so, you know, I think it's at least possible that our sins are worthy of some sort of infinite punishment. But if the punishment is death, and if the wicked will be punished with death and remain dead forever, that is an eternal, infinite punishment. And as such, I think it would qualify. For me, the reason why I think it makes the most sense is because throughout Scripture and in just ordinary human experience, we see the punishment of death being reserved for the most heinous of crimes. Uh, and so, consequently, I see the death penalty, as we conditionalists think awaits the risen wicked, as, as mm-hmm. much more consistent both with God's historical actions as well as with our ordinary human experience when it comes to justice i want to push Do back on that argument that you made annihilationism as more merciful chris some do. I don't. Uh, yeah. When I, you know, Augustine uh, and others, both, or like Augustine and Plutarch, for example, the first century Greek historian, said that first century Greeks would have much preferred uh, life forever in torment than annihilation. The, oh the my idea God. Of, yeah, that's and, interesting. And it is see, interesting. Toby jokes around and it always makes me laugh, but I think he really thinks this. And, I'm, and it's just amazing how minds work so differently because he's just like, Joey feels better. Now knowing that God completely destroys people, and I get the joke, but for me, that is a reality. It's like it's almost like putting someone out of their misery. It's like you can't come in here, but I'm not. I'm not going to allow you to wallow in that regret and that shame and sadness. So, gone with you forever. Well, you know, you talk to 10 different people about which fate is worse, and you're going to get some number that say one thing and others the other. For me, uh, ultimately, this is a subjective question, and that's why, for me, what really matters is what Scripture says. Yeah. I think anybody in hell would choose to be annihilated, though. Like, if you were on fire right now, you would say, shoot me in the head or something. I think you would, (laughs) right? I mean, if you you had that option. But I think, also, going back to what y'all were talking earlier about how where this idea came from, I believe all of us think, in a way, we deserve to live forever, even if that means torment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we all think, hey, we are eternal. We need to live forever. And that mean, that gives you just a little bit of hope. If you're alive in a way in hell, at least you have hope of getting mm-hmm. out of it or moving on or right. something. But you know what I mean? So I think that's where it comes from. This uh, innate hope we have to keep living and not uh, stop existing. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, that's, that's so, definitely Chris, true. Chris, before we... Uh, wrap this conversation up, which has been awesome. Let's get a little personal. You mind getting oh, okay. a personal? Chris is like, yeah, personal. it's exciting. No, I think it's so interesting because I, 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 uh, I get made fun of, especially with these two guys, of just how 
I see people as such better friends probably than what they see me, especially people that I haven't seen in 10 years. It's like the 10 years hasn't gone by. But for someone like you, you probably just like, yeah, Joey. I mean, casual acquaintance. I've talked to him a few. I'm like, Chris Date. Hell yeah. That's like my boy, homie. Yeah. So like these conversations are super comfortable for me. Maybe not as much for you. But you you apologized actually. <laughs> and I, your, your words were, hopefully I'm not as much of a jerk as I was uh, on pastor with no answers so what is it about how your mind works because you and i have talked before i was just like look pastor with no answers and i I actually love it i love the fact that you break the rules i'm like pastor with no answers it's just a chill uh podcast and it's Imagine, you know, drinking a beer out of beer, and you you come in there like a bull that's ready to kick ass and take names. Is that well? I, I don't even want to suggest an answer. What what's going on in Chris's head? You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I feel very passionately about unity uh, in the body of Christ on the essentials of the faith. And when uh, you know, I at least claim to care about treating people who disagree with me on uh, non-essential topics like this with love and with charity and respect. And I think for the most part I succeed at doing that and I seem to have a reputation for it. But sometimes um, for reasons – I mean I I don't want to come up with excuses. There are just some cases where I get into an argument with somebody and um, you know the the more – uh, angry, sort of obstinate part of me comes out, and and that <laughs> happened with Wes when we were debating universalism. I will say, when it comes to the topic of universalism, I do find myself a little bit more frustrated than when I'm dealing with some other people, because I think that universalism does force people to adopt pretty bizarre uh, hermeneutics, and uh-huh. um, and and it concerns me that um, it could, I, I I guess there's a part of me that doesn't want to let hearers be sort of caught, you know. Um, uh, you know, caught off guard or whatever by weird, bizarre hermeneutics, and I want to, I want people to see that no, there's some problematic things going on here on the universalist's part, and unfortunately, I let that sort of get the best of me. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, Wes will forgive me. Hopefully, you forgive me as well. But um, oh, for sure, yeah, that's that's yeah. what's going on there. So I, I'm not ready to let Chris go yet. I have at least two more questions I want to do. If that's all right, I'd love to stay around as long as you'll have me. Awesome. Um, so one of them is sorry, Joey shamed you, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I deserve That's it, what pastors so okay. do. No, he, he loves shaming our guests. He, he loves inviting people on and shaming them. I've done my fair share of shaming Joey, so it's okay. <laughs> that's true. Very true. Touche. <laughs> well, so one of the things is, um, I guess as I think through this, and I've known Joey's thought this for a long time, and I go, yeah, that makes sense. And I have certainly have no interest in debating you. I'm sure you would win in that regard anyway. Uh it's weird because people's biases, I always find, get them to believe what they want to believe. Mm. And this one's a bizarre one for me because it seems like so uncomfortable to think about eternal conscious torment. What My question would be, why do people, in my view, people must want to believe in hell? Because you could believe it one way or the other and it's this or that but you know to believe something so uncomfortable you must have some motivation either because it's so obvious in the text or because there's something some other reason people favor or like the notion of hell do you think there's something in people's minds where they like are comforted by or like hell or you know at least the child molesters go there or something like what what makes people have fight so hard to maintain that there is a hell i think that there's a eternal yeah, I think there's a combination of reasons. One thing is I think that um, 
people don't want to think about the possibility that the that the people that the Christian thinkers throughout history that they've most admired that they've most you know followed closely and so forth could have been wrong on such ah, a that's you know, on such an issue. I think that's part of it. Um, I think also part of it is, like I said, there is a tremendous amount of peer pressure in academia and in churches, uh, not to question the tradition. And so when somebody comes along questioning that, you know, their their initial gut instinct is, gosh, I've got to defend against this kind of thing uh, so people aren't, um, you know, persuaded to lose to believe in something that's going to cause them to lose jobs or whatever. Uh, you know, and there's also um, – there's also a lot of, you know, look, uh, Joey, on, on Pastor With No Answers, you cover a wide variety of topics, some of which um, are, you know, really, uh, some some of which are, are really, we conservatives find very problematic. You know, mm-hmm. if, if somebody wants, there are plenty of Christians out there, professing Christians anyway, that want to see the church embrace, uh, you know, in- inclusivity of, of homosexuality and other things. You've got uh, open theists trying to change the, the you know, our conception of God's uh, foreknowledge of the future. There's a yep. lot of issues, people wanting to say abortion's okay, and a variety of other things. And for a lot of people, this is one of those views where they've come to think of it as something that those Jehovah's Witnesses and those Seventh-day Adventists and those Christadelphians and those liberals all believe. We don't want them coming and infecting the church in the same way that all these other views are trying uh-huh. to. That's and so they just they see it as sort of one in a series of attacks from the world mm-hmm. on the church, and their gut instinct is to try to defend against those attacks. I think so why is it important at all? I mean, because from my point of view, I, let me see if I can put this uh, nicely. I don't really care. Like, I'm a Christian, and it's either is or it isn't. It doesn't matter to me. Like, is it reasonable for me to hold the position of uh, who cares? Like, not, not, obviously, there's something on the line somewhere, but I don't, do, do I need to have a position on this? I mean, that's not a Jesus position of not caring. So maybe you should just say, Lord, please help me to care. No, I'm just saying it's one way or the other. Why, what does it matter what I think? Who cares? I'm not saying I want people to go to hell or I'm glad. I don't, I don't, what if it's like, well, seems ambiguous in the text to me. There's two good sides to it. I have no position. Does that matter? Is that bad? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I think that we should care about everything that Scripture says. I don't think that um, it's um, virtuous to just sort of throw our hands up in the air and say, well, I don't really care what Scripture has to say on this topic because it's too ambiguous to understand or whatever. And I'm not I'm not accusing you of that. I'm just saying— um, Well, but you could say that about any topic, like when John was on the Isle of Patmos, and maybe there's something in the text that would say this or that or whatever about the weather that day. Maybe we could argue about what the weather was like on Patmos based on in- inferences we could make, and we need to dedicate— ourselves to figuring that out. I'm saying, what are the practical implications of one belief or the other? Would it matter how I treat people? I mean, what does it matter? Well, that's and that's the other thing I was getting to is that I do think there are at least some practical implications. Uh, take for example the implications when it comes to evangelism and apologetics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, atheists, many, many, many atheists have credited the doctrine of eternal hell with you know being the one of the number one reasons that they've rejected the faith. Uh, if they're being honest, it's at least conceivable that this when this obstacle is sort of removed from people's consideration of the gospel, it may mean that there's greater fruitfulness in our evangelistic efforts. Uh, and I think. That's a practical consideration worth at least uh, pursuing if, if this is the biblical view. But also, as I've you know tried to say a, a few minutes ago, I think it's really important that the church uh, unite on the essentials of the faith and tolerate charitably, charitably uh, diversity on the non-essentials mm-hmm. of the faith. And if everybody – I will say this. If everybody in the church had the attitude that you have, Matt – 
um, and, and said, I, it, it doesn't matter to me if a Christian believes one thing or the other on this topic, then I probably wouldn't spend nearly as much time on this. But, in, but until we, you know, con- conditionalists and annihilationists are allowed to be members of and teachers at churches, uh, as long as, you know, until we are allowed to teach and attend seminaries and stuff like this, uh, I'm going to continue to fight it because I think that it is important for that reason. You make a really good point there, and then it occurred to me when you were saying that, that the people that believe vehemently in the traditional view of hell actually do a lot of uh, not you know, actually overt damage by going out, but they're motivated to keep people out of that eternal conscious torment in a way that they're using it to scare people. So if they have that view in error, wrong, and they're doing all this, you know, fire and brimstone preaching that's turning people off and it may be wrong anyway that then that's something that might be worth trying to correct whereas you know say somebody like me that doesn't have a strong point of view either way nor am i act acting out trying to fear-based yeah do that kind of thing and the last question i want to ask is you as a conservative you just mentioned homosexuality there a, a minute ago and say this is some wave of now now everything's up for grabs if this is but that's a kind of a good question the way that you reframe this issue actually reminds me a lot of the way that some people lately have reframed the view of well what did the bible actually ever did say about homosexuality so now if we go back and look at that i would think taking the same approach um, trying to undo some of the cultural baggage and, and things like that and reframe it and look at it objectively. I think the case for uh, the case against homosexuality feels very similar to, to this one to me, but you seem to not have any time for that that reframing. Well, I certainly have the time for the for the discussion and for the research. You know, I, I think it's healthy for on any topic that we have just sort of mm-hmm. accepted from our forebears to go back into the text and look more closely and look at the historical context and the literary context and so forth and find out if the Bible does in fact teach what we've accepted. But once once that's been done or when that has been done and 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 it does in fact support the traditional view uh, on a particular topic, then I think that we then have to ask how important is a deviation from mm-hmm. this view. And what I'll tell you is that the Bible seems to have little, not nothing, but little to say about aberrant beliefs. Um, there are a few issues in Scripture which seem to be extremely important in terms of belief, the belief that Jesus is God, uh, the belief that there will be a resurrection of the dead, a few other things. But where the Bible really, what the Bible really seems to condemn are moral uh, deviations from the norm. And mm-hmm. so if, if for example, uh, the Bible says that sexual immorality and uh, deviations from acceptable moral sexual behavior are very severe and that people are kicked out of the church as a result of those kinds of things, and that has, is in fact the case then if uh, if what the if what I think the Bible says about homosexuality is true and if people are deviating from that and encouraging people to embrace homosexuality and so forth, uh-huh. I see that as far more severe than differences of opinion on the duration and nature of hell. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the biggest arguments that people like to say against uh, being progressive on gay issues would be just like, but this has been church history for for 1,500 years, we've thought this. For 2,000 years, we've thought this. So that's why, which is the same, same argument they make for hell. It's like, it, look, all our church forefathers thought this. Paul, the Apostle Paul seemed to think this. All these people thought this, and that's why we uphold it. But you've broken down that barrier with hell, so I think it's an interesting thing to look at with the gay issue, too. And, and, you know, but you, but you, don't go, you don't like, you've concluded with your same philosophy that the Bible simply doesn't lead to that one being reframable. That's right, exactly. Okay. Interesting. 
But it's cool. still I, good that you've unlinked the, the bit. I mean, I love the the approach to, yeah. to unlink the tradition part of it and think freely about the issue now with the best knowledge that we have, still trying to be true to the text. I, I really admire the approach. Yeah, and, and let me just be clear. I'm not suggesting a wholesale you know, abandonment of tradition and, and, and a total ignoring of it. Um, I think tradition is important, and I think that we need to take very seriously – claims that something that has been that has dominated Christian thought for centuries might in fact be unbiblical. We need to be very careful about accepting that kind of claim um, and, and we shouldn't be willing to overturn uh, centuries worth of tradition on a scant amount of evidence. Mm-hmm. I just happen to think that on this topic the biblical evidence and theological evidence is overwhelming uh, and as a result I think it's enough to, um, to overturn the tradition. Right, because I mean, I suppose we could do that with every issue. Like now, we're so good at logical arguments and rhetoric. You could probably build a case for pro-abortion or whatever you wanted to. Like it's like, oh, good, we get to get rid of tradition. Now we can make the Bible say whatever. Now you know. Right. So I could see people making the argument that would be a slippery slope. And certainly, somebody sharp like you could make a case and convince everybody of something that wasn't even the case that tradition had right in the first place. So, it's a scary time we live in with the uh, uh, the ability we have for rhetoric and debate to make things seem true when sometimes they're not <laughs> i guess my big and this is the last question chris i'll ask you but you think god is really going to annihilate everybody with fire don't you think he could at least use like a laser or something like a little bit more <laughs> like a little bit more intelligent like fire just seems like like do you or think sound. that's literal sound yeah he awesome. could do i mean he could have a lot of fun with it if you're gonna annihilate like billions and trillions of people it seems <laughs> like you you it just seems like it's not even efficient to use fire right like you would do you think that's literal it will I, be just fire. I, I, there's very little in scripture that that I think one can point to in support of understanding the fire to be literal or not or whatever. Uh, I, I think it's very possible that he may use some other means. I, I, I don't know. But what I will say is what keeps me leaning in the direction that he will, in fact, use fire is our, our passages like Jude 7 and 2 Peter 2.6. Uh, Jude says that in the way that fire came down from heaven and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, that's an example of uh, what awaits the ungodly. Uh, Peter in 2 Peter 2.6 says that Sodom and Gomorrah were, were reduced to ashes and brought to extinction as an example of what awaits the ungodly. Um, is it possible that the, you know, the death of the ungodly, the death of the unbelievers in, in hell will be by other means? It's certainly possible, but these passages seem to lean toward uh, the idea that it will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Very Chris, cool. I, I want to let me say let me say one thing too, Joey. Sorry, I I highly recommend going listening to Chris and Edward Fudge. It is just such great audio, and Edward Fudge's voice and the oh, way no. he's emotional and the way he talks, yeah, it's, it's just so compelling. And that just that alone, and then the dialogue and discussion you guys have is, is just amazing. And tell tell everybody where they can find out about that and any any other stuff they can find out about you, Chris. Well, the launching point would be rethinkinghell.com. Uh, it's super easy to find. We're, if you also search iTunes for Rethinking Hell, you'll find our podcast. If, if there are listeners that, that want to just sort of get an introduction to our view, I highly recommend listening to episodes four and seven. It's about an hour and a half total worth of material, but you'll get um, a positive case for our view and answers to traditional objections. And then you know, one other thing I guess I'll encourage people to do is to check out rethinkinghellconference.com because in March of next year, in 2018, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we're going to be having our next conference, and we're going to have some big people coming out to speak. Uh, Preston Sprinkle, for example, I think who's been on your show before, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. as well as uh, Craig Evans, an enormously respected scholar from Houston Baptist University, uh, and, and, a, and a few others, including myself. So those are two places to check out. And if people want to get involved in the discussion, uh, we have a discussion group on Facebook called Rethinking Hell, and you can just go to Facebook and search for Rethinking Hell to find it. And, and Chris, notice, do you ever, it wasn't do you ever an accident, wrap- Joey Svensson wasn't invited to that conference. 
<laughs> hey, hey, Chris, I'll give you a free entry if you want to come. Chris, do you ever do you ever finish up a debate similar to the one with like uh, Doctor Phil Fernandez, and you come away thinking, "I feel really bad. I just annihilated that person." Do you oh, ever Lord. feel bad? Come on, Joey. Do you ever no, feel bad? I don't. Chris? I don't feel bad when the position that I hold appears to come out the victor. When I, where I feel bad is where I think I've I've poorly treated the people I've debated like Wes uh, on your show. Um, so no, yeah, I, I guess that's my answer to your question. You don't, don't step up to Chris. That's all I can say. If you disagree with Chris, do not step up because he knows his stuff. And honestly, like I said, it's convincing. And to, uh, real quick, I know you, uh, and I think it was super helpful. You pointed people to the two best episodes to get a snapshot of what you believe. The, uh, the episodes Toby was talking about, which I think are worth listening to are the first two, I think, right? That's right. With it's it's the interview with Edward Fudge. Yeah. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much, man. It's good to have you. Hey, we need to have you back. I'd love to have you back and talk about inerrancy, too. That'd be a great topic, I think. There are a lot of topics I love to talk about. Inerrancy, tongues, uh, Calvinism. Uh, There's a lot of issues I love to discuss, so please, by all means... this For is sure. this is a Calvinistic annihilationist, so he believes that God chooses people to destroy That's once true. and for all. <laughs> Dan, hey, hey, we should great get way Dan. to end it again, Joey. What a, on a high note. <laughs> yeah. Man, you're just... You're, you're not going to go to right, Thank you, Chris. Now. All right. Thanks, See guys. You, See you later. Good Lord. Ain't, ain't much to say after that. <laughs> <laughs> Chris date everybody. That was great. I did, hey, it would, like, it would be really interesting. Like I mean, this, this is starting to get into past with no answers territory. I don't think we want to do this on this show, but I would love to hear Chris date and Dan Coke talk about uh universalism and annihilationism that would be uh, no well i was thinking uh, it'd be awesome to have chris and then the guy that was here what uh what I, his name's slipping my mind because i'm Thomas old but the the, o, the uh open the, oh, open the, open the theologian yeah open theology that would be very good but yeah. i don't know how productive that would be once again we're just are we pitting people against each other to dislike each other are we doing exactly it's very interesting though. Like I love hearing stuff like this. Like I, I mean, regardless of where I'm at, I love hearing somebody that is has really spent time thinking this through. What you know what I mean? Like it, like it doesn't have to be that you totally agree or or disagree or whatever side you land on. But like it's just so uh, great for me to hear an educated person that spent a ton of time trying to figure out God and the world and mm-hmm. what they believe in this book that we call the Bible, the Holy Scripture. All those things are just super valuable just to listen. But you know yeah, what's crazy about it is, though, it leaves me in a different place. Like now my eyes are kind of open to all these different points of views that open theism and reinterpreting the way that we look at gay people and hell and all these things. It leaves me v- extremely gun shy. Like, oh, so there's all these views doesn't look like I'll be having to choose any of them though. Like I, right. my, yeah. like I have this weird the impulse. Like, well, then I'm not going to choose one, and I and, I'm just not and, going to. Yeah, and I just finished. I'm, I'm gun shy, but I think that's. Hang on, a second. I'm just saying. Yeah. Is that me being a wuss or lacking conviction or like just being? I feel like it's unwise to just say, and so now, I mean, I've done that too many times in my life. This is what it's supposed to be. And and then I was wrong about that anyway. So now it's like, well, why would I, 
make a hard stance on this issue or that, or, or, you know, like I, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm in the future going to have some, you know, you've been deconstructing for a while, Matt. It's time to start saying what all the things that you definitely do believe. Is that on the other side of this? I'm not really sure. Yeah. And, I mean, I think to answer your, to answer your question, it, well, let me say this. Many, everybody should be asking that same question. I'm not saying that everybody should uh, be apathetic with where they stand and, and gun shy, as you said, but we should be asking that question because unless, if you believe in free will, unless you're willing to write off a whole denomination of Presbyterians as dumbasses and they cannot read scripture right. uh, worth anything, well, then you've got to at least come away with saying there are uh, a good billion Christians, or probably not, I don't know how many Christians there are, but they're reading their Bible and they're getting completely opposing views with Mm -hmm. major doctrines. Like, that right there is enough to pause, and I think it's okay for someone like Matt to say, you know what, these, uh, who knows? Like, I I just don't don't know. to eventually, I mean, I've been Calvinist before, I'm not now, but I ain't no Arminian, and I ain't gonna be either one in the future. Right. I'm just not going to be either one of those because I, I just don't have the attraction to that. When I, I, think I when read, I was more uh, I did, and now I just think, well, I don't have an attraction to committing to one of those teams, and I don't know. Yeah. It makes me give. It makes me even crazier when I think about now. I got to teach my kids stuff though, because like Georgia asked me yesterday in the car, and this is true. She says, "I don't know where." She asks about God, so she says. I said, I'm the boss, and this is what she goes, no, God's the boss, whatever. So she has this notion of God in her head that I don't even feel like I've talked to her that much about God, but she keeps talking about it. And yesterday she said, said, Dad, God just just decides when we die. And I said, uh, I don't she, she said, God is in charge, and then he decides when we die, right? And I was like, well... Yeah, I mean, I well, I you know, I said, uh, yeah, I didn't really want to answer the question. I didn't want to go down that road, really, of what. Yeah, I'll, I, I whatever, like, well, whenever my kids do that, I just go, uh, go to your room. Is your room clean? <laughs> <laughs> I just avoid it completely. I just yeah. read, I just read Pete N's Sin of Certainty, and it is by far the most helpful, uh, more than revo- the Bible. <laughs> revolutionary book that I've ever read outside of the Bible. For sure, <laughs> wow. it is just and 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 it speaks to exactly what you're saying. I think for uh, Pete Ends, he and would Joey say Joey used to be a math and science teacher too. <laughs> I think he would say <laughs> is there needs to be more people that just say, you know what, I don't know uh-huh. exactly what I believe, but I and and here's what I think is so interesting. He says our faith needs to be connected to experience because we don't have anything else you know yeah. i mean so, when we when we're debating on god we're debating yeah. on the highest level of debate and that's like the the reality of life mm-hmm. and ultimate truth and we cannot as christians claim to like have dibs on that like we know everybody else doesn't right. like you have to at some point value oh, wow, I may not have ultimate reality right. And so that's why it's so important for at the end of the day for our beliefs to be like, you know what? I can't explain why I believe. I just do, and I can't stop because of the stuff that I've experienced. Yeah. So with the kids, though, I mean, you just say, well, wait a second. Like the tendency is I want to give her a good answer and demonstrate to her that I know something. But I think instead what I've demonstrated to her is I don't think my dad understands all the stuff about God. That's yeah. what she, she doesn't have an thing, answer. Uh, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Maybe that's a, that's just maybe what she can learn is that right. 
her dad is old and she thinks is smart, but he doesn't know. So I mean, I, Ro- I Rosa actually Rosa actually observed my major uh, departure from Eternal Conscious Torment because she actually told me it's probably six months ago. She asked me about it again, and I told her I was just like, you know, I just. Uh, you know, I kind of explained annihilationism, yeah. and I explained to her, I'm not sure where I stand with all this. I do think God's going to be way more gracious than what we can imagine, but I don't think people are punished forever and ever. And she said, you didn't always believe that way. I was like, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. I, I like that. I think that's good parenting, really. But I, 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 think the, I think the scared side is right. Like, if you leave it more open, it, there's a potential that your kid would walk away from faith or religion or anything. I think the potential is higher. That's why I think we were even talking about it. I do think people press you and have made hell so real. Like, when I grew up, it was all fire, hell, fire, and brimstone sermons and everything. Like, because you scared people to people death. To so that, away too. I, it does, but not as much as you would think. I think it actually works and enough. It wor- at least it works enough times to keep people believing it and yeah, coming I back and all that I mean, because once you paint people in a black and white corner, and then they go to college and they realize, oh, wait a second, that doesn't they line up. They don't all up. go to college, Joey. The, well, the when they get the out into the real to, world. Real I mean, world. You, but Most, your kids. No, the majority, the majority believes in hell and eternal damnation. The, the, this is the minority here. The most people believe that son of a bitch over there deserves hell and he's going there and he's going to burn forever that yeah. guy he god doesn't love him he's it, somebody would do that he's going i mean that's the majority of people this this isn't like oh man everybody's mind changes and it can push you away no if you're scared enough you believe that's why you end up believing a lot of stuff because you're scared to death i mean it works so all i'm saying is it does work i think the more valid and right way is to be open-minded and take take the lumps when they come and, and see what happens and give your kid a fair shot at a real faith but i mean it's telling people that hell is real and you'll be burned is the same as hey if you don't if you sell marijuana or smoke it you're going to jail it keeps you from doing it regardless of if it's really bad or not really bad i mean it just it does work potential yeah. uh prison torment stuff does work for sure yeah penal punishment yeah yeah fear all this thing. yeah interesting stuff man my so, god it's heavy i watched i watched the shack the other night and i really did sob a lot now i mean it was shack just made like that the movie after kazam it, yeah is that I, the one where he, he's I the really, genie i really think god is this way oh god like it was i mean i just thought it was wonderful now i don't think god is necessarily a black female but i do think what that movie did a great you're job you're racist you are a doing racist is open the door to making sure we realize, hey, you don't understand uh, even half of what you're talking about. I mean, it is such a different reality. But I'm telling you, it is good, and it opened my Did eyes. Did they make a Just... sequel for it? For it? Did they make a sequel? Yeah. I don't I think know. It's called it's Shaq just... Fu. Shaq and a Fool is, I think, <laughs> oh, what it is. Anyway, for me, it demonstrates just how easily, easily mainstreamed such a heretical point of view can be because this guy is ultra universalist. I mean, if you pin him down, it's I've been obvious. trying to get him on the podcast. Yeah, Hopefully it's obvious. Get him. If you can get Shaq right. on this podcast, I will lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks for listening to the Bad Christian Podcast. This is Matt, Toby, and Joey signing off. Before we do that, we would love to tell you about the BC Club and what you can do right now as you are listening to our voices. You can go to thebcclub.com. Check it out for yourself. 
<laughs> the website speaks for itself, folks. There's a, th- uh, a few places where you can click. There's one place where you can buy, do your Amazon shopping through us. We get a little kickback. Then there's, there's a kind of a neat little link where you've got a bunch of pictures of all the people that make Bad Christian happen. And then <laughs> the cat's meow, shall I say, is where you can click on and decide at what level you want to join the BC Club. Now, at all levels, people are immediately invited into a Facebook community where there are all sorts of offshoots. There's a group for guys, group for ladies, and everyone's kind of doing their own thing, but then you get that one page where everybody interacts, and Toby, Matt, and myself jump on there once in a while, but then you also get an extra episode a week, and I would just say that it's it's a different kind of episode. It's it's similar to what you hear weekly on the podcast, but it's I think we're all a little more laid back, and so we're a little more just filthy. Loose. We're basically filthy. No, I mean, not 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 true. No, I think well, we start. Joey, you are because you know it's not like publicly broadcast. So you say really nasty shit. I mean, really bad stuff that you wouldn't want anybody hearing, but you allow the BC Clubbers to hear it. Yeah, it's really gross. I mean, I'm offended thirty percent of the time. <laughs> but no, for real. Those of you that uh, love listening to us, and no, that you, was for think- real. You're thinking to yourself, man, I'd like to kind of be a part of what these guys are doing. That's a great, great first step. Uh, if you can't do that, you can always go to <laughs> iTunes and and leave us a little review. And if you don't want to do that, hey, just keep listening. It's all good. Mm-hmm. We love you, you guys, and we're no. I don't want you to listen. You. Get out of here. Yeah, all Toby right. wants you to. I don't love you guys. Anyway, I do want to let everybody re- remind everybody to uh, go ahead and go to Spotify and find that yeah. Matt and Toby album. It's out. Oh, we yeah. got some worship songs and original songs on it. It's out. It's free. You can do Spotify for free, and most of y'all pay for a Spotify membership, and we get paid if you just listen to it, and we love streaming. So just go to Spotify, check out the new Matt and Toby record, tell us what you think about it. All right. Yep. And and also, I'm doing True Man Experience. There's one in Kansas City. You can go to, uh, I'm going all the way up the East Coast, Knoxville, Charlotte, all the way up Pennsylvania, Ohio, all these places. So go to truemanexperience.com and you can sign up. I'd love for you to come. It's a place where men can uh, get together and be vulnerable and and at the same time have a lot of fun. So it'll be really good. And I just wanted to say this too, guys. It's kind of crazy. Um, I was talking to Chris Date last week and he said that he was kind of missing something and just felt a little empty. So he joined a a, a Satanist group just for the hell of it. Wow. All right, I actually got to go. See you, Joey. To the bathroom. To the bathroom. To the toilet. To the toilet. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.